we live in a, in a scary world. Uh, that's always been true, of course, but I think that uh, we've been particularly aware of it uh, in the last two or three years. And the world scares us because we can't control it. Bad things keep happening, and it seems no one can stop them. And all over the world, unpredictable events keep on occurring. Uh, this isn't new, though. Uh, we might be concerned about COVID, about the war in Ukraine, about inflation, whatever it might be. 2,000 years ago, in Jesus' day, uh, people might have been scared about the possible failure of the next harvest or what the Romans might do next. Uh, those are the big things, maybe, that scare people, make us anxious. But then some very localized storms sometimes come. That's what happened to Jesus' disciples, of course, in the story Nigel read earlier. This great windstorm arose, Mark chapter 4 and verse 37. It was sudden. It was out of nowhere. And it only really impacted the people who were on the lake. And in our lives, too, these localized windstorms uh, can occur. A car accident. A doctor's appointment. A relationship breakdown. A redundancy. And suddenly, almost out of nowhere, we're in a storm. Now the storm we're going to look at in Mark chapter 4 was a, was a real storm. There was real wind and real waves uh, overwhelming a, a real boat. It happened just like the Bible said it did. Uh, but the story has a deeper significance than merely telling us about the weather systems over Galilee. We all sense there's something deeper there, don't we? Uh, the way that Jesus and his disciples behaved in the storm is supposed to teach us something. It's supposed to teach us something about the storms, uh, the real and metaphorical storms in our lives. So there's so much we can learn here. So let's start with the basics, the things you already know, but it's good perhaps to be reminded of. Uh, here's the first thing that we can learn. The disciples' obedience doesn't stop the storm coming. The disciples' obedience doesn't stop the storm coming. You see, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that storms come when we're disobedient to God's will. Now, it's certainly true that that can be the case. Jonah is an example of that, isn't it? But this example of Jesus and the disciples shows us that the opposite can also be true. Uh, look at verse 35. Uh, Jesus says, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they get in their boat, sail away, and everything is fine. Until suddenly that great windstorm arises just two verses later. And these disciples of Jesus are not being disobedient. The opposite is true. They're doing exactly what Jesus asked, and yet they're hit by the full power of an oncoming, entirely unexpected storm. So let me speak to those who perhaps are going through a storm right now. Or maybe you've bruised still from the effects of a recent storm that unexpectedly battered you. That storm does not mean that you were outside God's will when the storm hit. The fact you endured the storm does not necessarily mean that you had any fault or that you did anything wrong. Now, sometimes that can be the case, as we've said, as it was for Jonah. 
But remember, even when the storm hit Jonah, there were how many other men also on that ship who were not running away from God, who had not done anything wrong and were still caught in the storm? So that's the first thing that I want you to remember. Storms can hit even when we're doing exactly what God wants us to do. The second thing that I want you to remember is this. Jesus didn't stop the storm coming. Jesus didn't stop the storm coming. Now, as you know, in this storm, Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves eventually, and the storm miraculously becomes calm. That's how the the story ends. It's a sign of tremendous power from Jesus. But have you ever thought thought of it this way? If Jesus had all that power... Surely he had the power to stop the storm in the first place, before it swamped the disciples. Uh, Jesus could have known about the storm in advance. He could have suggested, therefore, that the disciples delay their crossing, or maybe take the land route. But he didn't do that. He allowed them, encouraged them even, to sail into the oncoming storm. Uh, Even if uh, Jesus hadn't suggested they go round or delay, uh, when the early stirrings of the storm came, he could have nipped it in the bud, couldn't he? He could have calmed the storm before it got too bad. But he didn't. He allowed the storm to reach a tempest. And even if he didn't nip the storm in the bud, he could have woken when the storm started to get dangerous. He could have comforted his disciples. He could have helped bail out the boat. He could have calmed the storm at that point before real panic set in. But he didn't. Jesus allowed them to think that they were going to be overwhelmed by the storm. So Jesus allowed them to sail into the oncoming storm. He allowed the storm to reach a tempest. He allowed them to think that they'll be overwhelmed. And understandably, I think, that leads the disciples to a question in verse 38. Do you not care that we're perishing? And the question makes sense. Here is Jesus, supposedly their friend and master, and as far as they can see, he's doing absolutely nothing to help them in their moment of terror and danger. So it's a reasonable question. Don't you care about what we're going through? And the unspoken question is reasonable too. Why aren't you doing anything to help? Perhaps you've asked those questions of Jesus yourself. Perhaps you've been in the midst of a storm. Perhaps you're in the midst of a storm right now. And it seems to you as though Jesus has done nothing and is doing nothing to help. He's allowed you to to sail unsuspectingly into this oncoming storm. He's allowed the storm to reach a tempest. He's allowed, perhaps, you to think that the storm will overwhelm you. And I know it's hard to hear, but I have to say it. Sometimes that's what Jesus does. Now, part of me wishes that I could say to you that Jesus would never do that. He'd never allow you to sail unsuspectingly into the oncoming storm. He'd never allow a storm in your life to reach a tempest. He'd never allow you to think that you'll be overwhelmed. Part of me wishes I could say that to you. But I can't promise that Jesus will never do that. Because sometimes he does. 
So why would Jesus do that? Let's look at the disciples' question again. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, Jesus doesn't answer the question, does he? He doesn't speak to them. He speaks to the wind and the waves. But after he's spoken to the wind and the waves, he does then speak to them, and he speaks to them with another question. And that's in verse 40. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? In other words, when the disciples suggest that this raging storm means Jesus doesn't care, Jesus says in response, no, not at all. That's not what it means. You should know better than that, really. That's the implication, I think, of Jesus' question. I do allow, Jesus is saying, people I love to go through storms. I can love someone and still let them go through a storm. And that's clear from the story, I hope. Jesus loved his disciples. He felt deeply for them. He cared for them. But it didn't stop the storm from coming. And we often have the same questions in our life. And although we can see the answer in this story, sometimes we struggle to see the same answer in our own stories. We can see from this story that Jesus really did care despite the storm. But can we see that in our own stories? Do we believe it in our own stories? We've got to believe it. Just as being in a storm doesn't mean that we've been disobedient, being in a storm doesn't mean that Jesus has forgotten us or that Jesus doesn't love us. And that can be hard to remember when we're in a storm. But deep down, I trust we know it and believe it. We can look at what Jesus has done. We'll come to this again later. We can look at his faithfulness to us, despite our waywardness, despite our fecklessness. We can look to the cross. We can see his love being poured out as he suffered in our place. Yes, whatever storm you have experienced or are experiencing, Jesus cares more than perhaps we can even imagine. And that leads us to the third thing that I want us to remember uh, this morning. And that's this. Jesus had more trouble calming the disciples than he did in calming the storm. Now, this is the part of the story that I think we often miss. Jesus had more trouble calming the disciples than he did calming the storm. So look carefully at the text. You'll see it very clearly. So, so verse 38, we know the disciples in the middle of the storm are in a bit of a panic. Do you not care that we are perishing, they say. Uh, they don't even say, do you not care that we're going to perish. As far as the disciples are concerned, they're already dying. Now the disciples at this point, in the middle of a storm, they're far from calm. They're panicking. They're dying as far as they can see. Now by the end of the next verse, the sea is completely calm. Jesus has spoken, the wind has ceased, the lake is flat. Cue thankfulness, jubilation and celebration on behalf of the disciples. No, far from it. They're less calm after the storm than they were before the storm. 
Look at verse 40 where Jesus asks them, why are you so afraid? Now this is the first mention of fear in the disciples. It happens after the storm has been stilled. It's drummed home in verse 41. They were filled with great fear. Now this is not past tense. This is present tense. After the storm, they are afraid. They're filled with great fear. That's why I'm suggesting that Jesus had more trouble calming the disciples than he did calming the storm. Because in the middle of the storm, either the storm or the disciples are calm. By the end of the story, the storm is calm, but the disciples are more agitated than ever. So why were the disciples so afraid at the end of the story? They were afraid, I think, because they realized that Jesus had absolute power. Think about what they'd just seen. Jesus had got up and told off the wind and the waves as if they were a naughty child. And they'd obeyed the wind and the waves had right away. Uh, most of the time, naughty children don't do what we ask them to, never mind the weather. And we know that we don't have that level of power. And we don't know anyone who does, do we? We don't know anyone who can control a storm. We think of all the most powerful men in the world, Joe Biden, Vladimir Putin, Elon Musk, whoever you might name, none of them can control the storms. Uh, during World War II, D-Day was scheduled for the 5th of June, 1945. 23 entire divisions of infantry were armed and ready. Nearly 4,500 bombers and 4,000 fighter planes were ready to support the invasion. 7,000 ships and landing craft were prepared. 200,000 vehicles were ready to set sail. More than 3 million troops were behind them, ready to follow them in. Eisenhower and Montgomery had given the go-ahead. Churchill and Roosevelt, even Stalin, were, were all in support. It was the greatest firepower, the greatest power ever amassed, either before or since, ready for invasion. They were all ready to go. But they didn't go. Because D-Day didn't take place on the 5th of June, 1945. And what turned all those troops back was not the might of the German army. It wasn't the 40,000 German troops waiting on the beaches. It wasn't the 15,000 bunkers and the 3,000 heavy guns on Hitler's Atlantic Wall. That's not what turned that great, powerful army back. What turned the entire Allied force back on the 5th of June, 1944, was a storm in the English Channel. And that great army, with its powerful generals and its supreme commanders, could not stop the storm. They had to wait it out. But here is Jesus, all alone, in a boat, no singing and dancing, no magic words or special tricks. He just says, peace, be still. And it was. And no wonder the disciples are afraid. What the might of the British, Canadian, and U.S. armies could not do, Jesus did, and with just two words. And so the disciples were filled with fear. 
And their fear did not leave them when the storm was stilled. Because now they had to reckon with a question. Not just, Jesus, do you care? But, Jesus, who are you? Maybe they knew about Psalm 65. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the furthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with mount, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves. Maybe they'd read Psalm 89. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Maybe they'd heard a sermon on Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And that's why Jesus' disciples were so terrified. Because they were beginning to realize that their friend, Jesus, had the power of God himself. And maybe we need to learn that same lesson. That Jesus is not somebody to be trifled with. Not somebody to be underestimated. Not somebody to be pigeonholed. Not to be set aside as an interesting teacher or another historical figure. Jesus is almighty God. And that's why Jesus had more trouble calming the disciples than he did in calming the storm. Because the disciples were just as afraid of Jesus' great power as they were of the storm's lesser power. But, but here's the thing. Despite that, the disciples were wrong to be afraid of the storm. And they were wrong to be afraid of Jesus. Uh, we said earlier that being in a storm isn't a sign that we've got things wrong. And that's true. Being in a storm isn't a sign that we've got things wrong. But being fearful in a storm might be a sign that we've got things wrong. Because isn't that Jesus' message in verse 40 to his disciples? You don't need to be afraid. I'm paraphrasing. I never left you. I was right here. You could have come to me at any time. I've got more power than this storm. Why are you afraid? And it's Jesus' message to us too. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus says, I've promised never to leave you or forsake you. I'm always right here. You can come to me at any time. I've got more power than the storms you're going through. You need not fear the storm. We need not fear the storm, but we also need not fear the storm stiller. We need not fear the storm, but we need not fear the storm stiller. You see, that perhaps is the biggest mistake that the disciples made. Not fearing the storm, but fearing the storm stiller. That's still a mistake. And maybe sometimes we make the same mistake too. Jesus says to them, have you still no faith? And the disciples' question shows us where their faith was lacking because their question was, 
Who then is this? You see, already at this point in Mark's Gospel, we're only in chapter 4, but already at this point, they'd heard a voice from heaven declaring that Jesus was God's son. Uh, they'd seen Jesus' power over unclean spirits. They'd seen his power over every imaginable illness. They'd seen his authority in teaching and preaching. Now they'd seen his power over the storm. But the disciples still didn't have adequate faith in Jesus. The point here is not that they'd seen evidence of God's power and therefore they shouldn't be afraid. That's not the point. It was precisely Jesus' power that was making them afraid. Where was their lack of faith? Their lack of faith was not in Jesus' power. Not now. It had been. In, in the boat, maybe that was their lack of faith. They, they lacked faith. In what? They lacked faith that Jesus would use his power for their good. Jesus, don't you care? That's their problem. You see, when you have a powerful enemy like a storm, what do you need? You need a powerful friend. We're seeing that in Ukraine, aren't we? They have a powerful enemy. What are they asking for? Powerful friends. Now, imagine you were in Ukraine. You were watching on television. And you saw a bunch of howitzers being fired. How would you feel being in Ukraine and watching that on TV? Well, how you feel might depend on whether they were Russian D-30 howitzers or American M777 howitzers. Under normal circumstances, maybe it would be frightening for Ukrainians to see either of those guns being fired in their country. All that military power is frightening to an extent, but when you know the power is being used for your good, when the power is on your side, surely that makes a difference. And that's what the disciples seem to have forgotten. You see, when Jesus stopped the storm, they understood he was more powerful than they ever thought possible. But they'd forgotten that he was using that power for their good, that he was on their side. You see, when the storm came, they recognized they needed Jesus. They knew that they needed his power, but they'd forgotten that he was on their side. They doubted his goodness. Do you not care? And we too often make the same mistake. Often we're not afraid in the storm. We're afraid after the storm. We're not afraid of the storm. We're afraid of the storm stiller. But we know what Jesus has already done. We remember, don't we, that voice from heaven declaring Jesus to be God's son as the disciples remembered. We remembered his power over unclean spirit and over every, unimaginable, every imaginable illness. We remember his authority in teaching and preaching. We remember his power over the storm. We remember too, I hope, don't we, his power over sin and death. We remember that. We know the stories. We've learned them uh, as a, from as a child, most of us. We remember his power, but do we forget his care? Do we forget that he uses his power for our good? Maybe we do. And maybe sometimes that's where we, why we are fearful, even after the storm. 
Maybe sometimes that's why we're fearful not just of the storm, but of a storm stiller. So what can help us then not to be afraid in the storm or after the storm? What can help us not to be afraid either of the storm or of the storm stiller? Well, this, and this is the final thing that I want to leave you with. Jesus will still all storms in the end because he endured the storm with us and for us. Jesus will still all storms in the end because he endured the storm with us and for us. You see, the most important lesson here is not what Jesus did on the lake in Galilee. It's what that story points to. And when we read the story of Jesus calming the winds and the waves, I'm sure it was very familiar to us as we read it earlier. It's a story we've probably heard, some of us might have heard it dozens, maybe even hundreds of times. And its very familiarity tends to overpower the fact that this story of Jesus calming the storm is an echo of an earlier story of another person asleep in a storm and another storm that was stilled. Can you think what that earlier story is? It's the story of Jonah. Uh, with Jonah, we tend to get fixated with a whale, don't we? And we kind of miss the detail. But the detail is important here. Because when we consider the detail of Jonah's story, we'll see so many echoes with Jesus' story that we'll conclude, I think, that those echoes are not a coincidence. That the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to write his story in such a way as to deliberately remind us of Jonah. So what are those echoes that I'm talking about? Well, well firstly and most obviously, both Jesus and Jonah are out on the sea in a boat. Perhaps that could be a coincidence, you might say. There's lots of stories like that. Uh, secondly, again, very obviously, Jesus and Jonah's boats are both overwhelmed by a storm, a great wind in Jonah chapter 1, a great windstorm in Mark chapter 4. Less obviously, perhaps, there's a third similarity. Uh, do you remember that just like Jesus, Jonah was asleep in the storm? And there's a fourth similarity too. In both cases, their fellow sailors, the other people on the boat, wake them up and ask them to do something because they're about to perish. So they're both out on sea on a boat. They're both in a storm on the boat. They're both asleep in the boat. They're both wakened by the other people on the boat telling them that they're all going to perish and asking them to do something. That's not all. Fifthly, in both stories, there's a miraculous calming of the sea. And sixthly, in both stories, the last thing we read about the other people on the boat is what? That they're even more terrified by the calming of the sea than they were of the storm itself. Six similarities in both stories. I don't think that's a coincidence. The true story of Jesus calm in the storm was deliberately designed to echo the earlier true story of Jonah and the fish. Or, or maybe it was the other way around. But either way, it's not a coincidence. Except, except there's a pretty big difference between the two stories as well, isn't there? 
the difference? Well, in the story of Jonah and the storm, Jonah doesn't still the storm and save the sailors with just a word, does he? He takes their place. They were all about to go down into the depths of the ocean, but Jonah tells them, throw overboard, and then the sea will become calm. You can live through the storm, but only if I alone suffer the consequences of the stormy sea. That's Jonah. And that's not what happened to Jesus. Except, it's not what happened to Jesus here. But it is what happened to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells the Pharisees that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus did still the storm on Galilee in just a few words. But Jesus didn't come to earth to keep a few disciples safe as they crossed a lake. He had a much bigger mission than that. He came not to still that storm on Galilee. He came to still all storms. He came to still our storms of brokenness. Our storms of destruction. Our storms of disease, our storms of death, our storms of sin and its consequences. And those storms, unlike the storm on Galilee, could not be stilled with just a word. Those storms could only be stilled through actions. Those storms could only be stilled by Jesus taking the storm on himself in our place. And that's what he did, of course, dying for us at the cross and having done so, spending three days in the heart of the earth, just as Jonah spent those three days in a fish. You see, the storms we go through now, Jesus endures with us, just as he endured that storm with the disciples. But the ultimate storm, the storm of death, Jesus endures instead of us as he took our punishment on the cross. You see, we don't need to be afraid in the storm. We don't need to be afraid after the storm. We don't need to be afraid of the storm, and we certainly don't need to be afraid of the storm stiller. At least, we don't need to be afraid of the storm stiller if we have the faith that Jesus calls the disciples to here in Mark chapter 4. Because Jesus' ultimate victory over death, a victory won for us, proves once and for all that Jesus has absolute power. But it also proves once and for all that he exercises that power for the good of those who trust in him. For our good, if we have faith. And when our faith is in him, we need not fear any storm. Because then we know that the one who rules the universe, the one who rules over the storms, loves us and rules over all of our storms too. Do you trust him in the storm? Whatever the storm may be. Because we can trust him. And he's proved that for us in dying on the cross to take away our sin.